I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. People came racing out of their houses in their backyards. And these are all people who knew everyone involved and saw these children. I mean, young teenagers, children. My sister was 12, my brother was 14, in the street, you know, essentially dead. This is Joanna Rakoff. Joanna is a novelist and memoirist who lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Picture a woman with dark, curly hair, lively eyes, an easy smile. A woman you might pass on the cobblestone streets of Cambridge and imagine that she has had a simple, lovely life. But Joanna's life has been shaped by an enormous secret, a family tragedy that she was shielded from until well into adulthood, a secret that cast a long, sad shadow over her childhood. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets, the secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. I was born in um, the Hudson River Valley in a town that a lot of people know. It's sort of a popular town outside the city called Nyack. So Nyack sits on the river, sits on the Hudson River. It's a, a very beautiful, beautiful place. It's a place that, you know, Manhattanites like to come visit for the day. There are 
wonderful restaurants and beautiful shops and lovely walks along the river, seafood restaurants, boats, that kind of thing. And it's a lovely place to live. You know, the, the kids all walk to school there. It's sort of a utopian place. So I was born in this town and my father had a dental practice in the town. And when I was about three, for reasons that were I, I, not quite clear to me, my family moved to a, a few towns over. We moved to a very different place. We moved inland to the kind of mountains a few miles up from Nyack um, to a very, very tiny town called Pomona that was more a, a very new town. It was kind of a fake town <laughs> that catered to people fleeing the city as they did in, in the 70s and was filled with brand new modern glass houses we moved to one of these houses, a very large house that was kind of surrounded by forest. It couldn't have been more different than Nyack, which you know, is this tiny, ancient town where the houses are very close together and we knew all our neighbors and kind of ran back and forth between their houses. And this new town, Pomona, the houses were set much farther away and you couldn't see your neighbors. And in retrospect, I realized that was what my parents wanted. They wanted privacy. They wanted to be anonymous in this town. At the time, I didn't understand it. And what I did understand was that this felt like a kind of scary, strange place to me. And I also understood that my mother was sort of unhappy in this place. And I didn't understand why, you know, I would walk into the kitchen and find my mother crying or I would do some small thing that didn't seem at all like a big deal to me like take my security blanket out of the dryer on my own or said this this really happened um and my mother would you know go crazy and start screaming at me in this sort of hysterical way and grow so angry at me that I truly couldn't understand it, um, you know, screaming, get away from me, I can't look at you, I can't see you, get away from me. And as a small child, I spent a lot more time with my father. There's a way in which, you know, some people maybe are just by nature kid people and some people are not. And my father just was a kid person and he just loved doing stuff with me. And so... My childhood, when I think back on it, and as I as I experienced it at the time as well, had these kind of polarities to it. I, I have such vivid memories of being, of kind of traipsing around this giant cold house, not quite knowing what to do with myself or sitting by myself, playing with my million Barbie dolls, um, wishing that my mom would sit on the floor and play with me. And then also have these memories of going to the park with my dad, going to this lake nearby and feeding ducks. Joanna has a much older sister, Amy, who no longer lives at home by the time Joanna is a toddler. This is familiar to me. I grew up that way, too. The feeling on the one hand of having a sister, and on the other, of being alone, surrounded by the eyes of all your toy animals, your Barbies, staring back at you. I had those Barbies, too. (laughs) The whole whole (laughs) army of Barbies, yeah. The whole army of Barbies who are like your friends. Your only friends. (laughs) Or so it feels. Exactly. Making up stories for them. And so, um, yes. So I did grow up feeling like an only child. So I had um, an older sister who was 18 years my elder, Amy. 
I didn't really understand where she lived or what she did. Amy um, basically graduated from college by the time I was born. And in a way, the role she played in my life was more of an aunt, a kind of fond but distant aunt. She would occasionally come to our house on my birthday, you know, give me a little present. She would often show up at our house unexpected. So I didn't, I just didn't understand. And I, I think I, if I'm really honest, which I, I'm sorry, I often try to kind of, I will be honest here and say, I really often try to sugarcoat our life and make excuses for everyone. But the truth is, I'm sort of struggling not to cry here. You know, I, I was just filled with longing. I wanted, I so badly just wanted her to be a sister, sister to, despite her age, to come back and live with us and be there every day. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica. 
a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What Joanna didn't realize was that there was an entire tragic history surrounding her sister Amy. Sometimes, Joanna would walk in on her mother crying or looking horribly sad, and she would ask what was wrong, because Joanna presumed that she, she must have done something wrong, that her mother's sadness had to do with her. In general, I knew not to ask anything of more depth than what's wrong, you know, to not kind of probe at all. And as an adult, it's actually been, you know, I'm 46 years old, and it's still very, very hard for me to probe deeply, to ask my mother difficult questions or to tell my mother difficult things. But it it also is difficult for me to talk, I realize, to talk to other people, to kind of probe deeply into other people's lives. And it's affected my friendships. There's this way in which I was kind of raised in this environment of just pretending that everything is fine. This is the work of a lifetime, isn't it? Sometimes we're able to look back, or we're forced to look back, and see all the ways in which our childhood selves have formed the adults we've become. Especially when we discover a secret that has been kept from us. We can look back and see the isolation, the loneliness, the walking on eggshells that we once had to do. And finally, we understand all the ways we were shaped by the unsaid. Because... Here's the thing. We feel the things that are hidden from us. They live in our bodies, in our bones. But as children, we don't understand. It's only later that the pieces fall into place. And for Joanna, one of those pieces was a trio of portraits that hung in her childhood home. One was a boy, dark hair, in a style that dated the portraits neatly parted on the side and kind of brushed to the side. It was sort of 1950s look, though I didn't quite understand that. I just knew that this was a diff- something from a different era. And then there were two girls who did not look alike at all. One girl had dark brown hair and bright green eyes and kind of olive skin and um, was looking at the artist in a very kind of I don't want to say ferocious, because that's too extreme, but a a kind of bold way and smiling, but not a smile of joy, a kind of smile of engagement more, (laughs) and um, an intelligence. There was a a fierce intelligence to this girl, really uh, captivating. And then the third one was also a girl, younger, who had beautiful blonde hair, kind of ash blonde, um, that kind of curled softly to her shoulders and bright blue eyes. And 
a much kind of softer expression on her face. She looked kind of shy, almost kind of bashful. Both girls were wearing matching blue ribbons in their hair. The children were of indeterminate age. Like, it, it wasn't quite clear to me. Maybe the older girl was on the cusp of adolescence, like 10 or 11, maybe 12. The other two kids, it wasn't clear. Um, they weren't little kids, but nor were they teenagers. So these portraits um, sort of gazed down at me for a lot of my day as I watched TV, as I did everything. And I had no idea who they were of. I honestly thought that they were art. We had a lot of art in our house, um, you know, a lot of original art of all from all different eras, all different types. I told myself that these were just beautiful paintings. And so what did I do with this? I, I loved them and I would gaze at them. I would sit there on the sofa. I was a huge reader and I spent a lot of time just lying on the sofa, eating an apple. And I would kind of gaze at them and make up stories about them in my head. And I would, when I read books, I would kind of imagine the characters as, as looking like these kids. Joanna also recalls a mysterious photograph. In a home that has no family photos at all, there's one picture in Joanna's dad's office, a place he retreats to to smoke his pipe and do paperwork, of a family. But whose family? These people are strangers to her. Still, they pull her in, and she knows in a bone-shaking way that she'd better not ask about it. But when she's about 10 years old, her need to know wins out. So finally, one day, after contemplating it for a very long time, I said, who are these people in the photo? And my father said, you, you really don't know who these people are? And I said, no. But I felt this horrible guilt, this horrible guilt, because and I thought, I guess I should know who they are. And he, he said, he was sort of incredulous. And he took the photo from me and he pointed to the woman in it and he said, that's your mother. And then he pointed to the man in the photo who was also smiling and laughing and looked very happy. And he said, you and that handsome devil is me. And then he pointed to the teenagers, the children in the photo. And he said, this boy right here is your brother, Mark. And so one of the people in the photo who I had perceived as being a girl was a boy who had very long hair and, you know, kind of delicate features. Um, and I suddenly, the minute he said boy, I realized, oh my gosh, that is a boy. I hadn't realized it. But I, my mind was reeling because, of course, I didn't know that I had a brother and then he went on and said, and this girl right here, that's your sister, Amy. You know your sister, Amy? And I said, yes. And then he, he pointed to the other girl, the third girl, who had kind of blonde, curly hair. And he said, and this beautiful girl is your sister, Anita. And his voice broke. And you know, I had never seen... My father cried at all. My father was always happy. And he just kind of held me close to him. And, you know, I just said, oh, 
and he held me for a long time and then I it was my bedtime and I I said goodnight and I left so in all the years between that first conversation Joanna and her father had in which he told her of her brother and sister those pastel portraits on the family room wall they never again spoke of her siblings Anita and Mark if people asked Joanna if she was an only child she would respond that she had one sister a much older sister she just didn't allow herself to go there in a way she unconsciously conspired with her parents to allow the secret to go back into its hiding place after all this is a secret kept not only by Joanna's parents but by her entire large extended family if you think about it it's kind of amazing Joanna never learned more about her siblings think of the many many cousins of Joanna's the aunts and uncles the seders the thanksgivings the reunions the mother's day lunches not one mention of her vanished brother and sister was it a conspiracy of silence did my parents say to my whole family we don't want joanna to grow up with the specter of his lost children is that what happened or was it just kind of an unspoken rule in my family a very talkative kind of stereotypical Woody Allen movie Jewish family in which people were always talking and arguing was it just an unspoken rule that no one was ever going to talk to me about this i still don't know it's one of the things i'm struggling to find out i know my mother very much did not want me to be tainted by this tragedy or to feel like a replacement child in any way she's told me this explicitly that she didn't want me to be known as the girl whose brother and sister died or the girl whose parents had this horrible tragedy happen to them she wanted me to be my own person free from the burden of this tragedy and i really i respect her so much for that i understand that i do i really really do The only clues that Joanna has as to the fate of her siblings is when as a child she eavesdrops on her mother's telephone conversations. My mother almost every evening like so many mothers of her generation would spend the evening talking on the phone to her friends. And sometimes she would sit in her bedroom using her blue rotary dial phone talking to friends and I would be reading or watching TV and I would catch these glimpses of of the subject. I would hear these these little bits and pieces of things. and one of the things that would often jump out at me i probably because the tone of her voice changed would be this term the accident so she would say you know oh we weren't at that wedding that was right after the accident or oh i didn't do xyz you know with the synagogue that was right after the accident and i just couldn't do anything at that time or oh i lost touch with so and so after the accident i just couldn't see her anymore so my child brain started to realize that there had been the the accident meant something to do with my brother and sister it took some time but i made the association though i was of course afraid to ask what the accident was and i developed a whole story in my head which was that my parents had been driving the car i imagined it as the car that we had at that point which may have been a giant Chevy Caprice classic um and 
it had been snowing and they had been in an accident on the highway and something had happened. I couldn't envision the actual accident, but I would lie in bed at night and kind of run through this scenario, this story of my parents driving the car in the snow and some sort of accident happening that resulted in my brother and sister somehow dying. Um, And it would somehow simultaneously terrify me so that I couldn't fall asleep, but also comfort me so that I could. But I, of course, never asked what the accident was. Imagine growing up without critical information about your family. Imagine creating your own story, one that feels satisfying enough and survives into adulthood until someone shatters that story. That is exactly what happened in 2010. Joanna is married and the mother of two young kids. Her first book, a novel, is about to come out in paperback, and one of her first events is at a small independent bookstore in Maplewood, New Jersey. When she gets there, the audience is packed. A great thing, obviously. And there are quite a few staff members lined up to greet her. So I was going down the line as if I were at a wedding, shaking their hands, and I get to this one particular man, and he shakes my hand, and tears welled up in his eyes. And he with his voice breaking, said to me, can, can, get very nervously, can you, can you come with me? Could, could, you, could you come with me for a second? Could you just come to the office for a second? So I went with him, and we got to the office, and he was actually sweating really profusely, and he handed me some water and was kind of hemming and hawing, and then finally he said, I'm Jonah Zimelis. And he sort of looked at me. I'm not really conveying. He said it to me in this kind of portentous way, you know, presuming that I would know who he was, but I did not. And and then he said, I'm the owner of, of this bookshop. And I thought, oh no, this is going to be a terrible thing about my book. He's telling me he's the owner of the bookshop. And all of these thoughts were racing through my mind. But then he sort of looked perplexed and he said, you, my, you don't know my name? You don't know who I am? And I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. He said, I was your brother Mark's best friend. And that was when sort of the tears really let loose. And he said, my family lived, we were neighbors in Nyack. I was your brother Mark's best friend and I was in love with your sister Anita. And then he just full on started crying. And we sort of sat there. I started crying too. I had never met anyone who knew my brother and sister because of course I did. All my cousins, my aunts and uncles, family friends, they all did, but they didn't speak of them to me. So I had never been in this situation before with someone who was a peer of my brother and sister and knew them really well and for who like who had sort of suffered a loss himself, you know, to use the contemporary parlance. And he just started talking about the accident, about our town, Nyack, and how the accident had affected our town. But he, I didn't understand anything that he was saying. He was naming people's names and discussing repercussions and all sorts of things. But I didn't know any of this. And he kept saying, I know you know this, and I know you know this. And I finally said, I just, I, I need to tell you something. You, I actually don't know anything. And he looked at me a little bit like I was crazy. And I explained, I said, you know, I, I know that I have this brother and sister, but my parents have never, ever talked to me about them. 
and I don't even know what happened. I, I sort of know that there was an accident, but I don't know what that accident was. And he was so stunned. I mean, his jaw dropped open and he just kind of stared at me for a very long time. And, you know, then he, of course, said what I guess any empathic normal person would say, which was, he was like, oh God, oh God. And he felt horrible. And it was clear that he didn't know how much to say to me. Like he wanted to talk to me about all this, but he didn't necessarily feel that it was his place to tell me about this horrible tragedy in my own family. He basically said, you know, this was a tragedy for the whole town. The whole town was in mourning. The whole town was affected by it. And then he said, you know, I know that it was obviously a tragedy for your family. I'm not in any way comparing our grief and sorrow to your family. As I'm not. You know, please don't think that I am. This conversation between Joanna and Jonah is the first of several talks they have in which the horrific truth of the accident that killed her siblings slowly reveals itself. On that first evening, she's so shaken by the conversation that she sits in the office of his bookstore, sobbing. Later, he contacts her again and makes himself available to her should she want to know more. Jonah also asks Joanna if he can put her in touch with others, some people from Nyack who want to connect with her. It turns out that there was a world of people affected by this accident. They've spent their lives devastated by it, talking about it. All the while, Joanna's family moved into their glass house and lived in complete silence. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? 
Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here are the bare bones of what happened in June of 1971, the year before Joanna's birth. Her parents went on a vacation to Grand Bahama Island to celebrate their anniversary. It was not a trip Joanna's mom wanted to make, but her dad convinced her that it would be fun. They left Mark and Anita, both middle schoolers, along with Amy, a high school student, in the care of their maternal grandmother, Pearl, a sweet, sweet person but not someone who could necessarily control teenagers. Before their trip, Amy had turned 17, and they had given her a car, a red Mustang convertible. Amy decided to take her younger siblings, along with a family friend named Rachel Finer, to the beach in Westchester, and then possibly to a rickety old amusement park called Rye Playland. So this was a Sunday night, at the end of June. It was a beautiful day out. And, you know, it got dark very late at that point. Nyack is a pedestrian town. It's a real, as I said, utopian, old-fashioned American town where kids play in the streets. There's not a lot of traffic. There were tons of families and kids in the town. And at this time, there were all of these kids playing on their lawns, you know, having barbecues, All sorts of stuff was happening. As Amy and the kids drove along Broadway, a large sedan that had gotten off the throughway from a different exit crashed into the convertible. Joanna researches the coroner's report and discovers that the kids weren't killed on impact, but were gravely injured. So this accident, you know, which was just brutal, it was loud. The impact was heard literally throughout the town. That's not just a kind of thing to say. Like, it was actually heard throughout the whole town. And people came racing out of their houses in their backyards. 
And these are all people who knew everyone involved and saw these children. I mean, young teenagers, children. My sister was 12, my brother was 14, as was Rachel, in the street, you know, essentially dead. And um, the finders who lived right there, it's so horrible. They were waiting for Rachel to come home, waiting for her, getting angry. You know, the parents were getting angry, thinking, where is she? Why isn't she home yet? Why isn't she home yet? What's wrong? They thought she was going to be back much earlier, and they heard the accident happen and went running out into the street. There are some secrets that even when revealed, unpacked, understood, will never fully be put to rest. How can a loss this violent and profound, one that affected an entire town and devastated two families, ever be made okay? Time heals all wounds, it is said. Or, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Or, my personal favorite, everything happens for a reason. These are the things well-meaning people say to those who are grieving. We don't like to acknowledge that there are some wounds that will always remain at least somewhat open that it is our job to bear them, to transform them slowly over time by making meaning out of them. Something Joanna's doing in the writing, research, and reporting of this story she has never known, and it haunted her all the more because of not knowing. Healing all of this back has been honestly pretty unbearable. I have three kids now, they are 14, 10 and 3 and it simultaneously is causing me to remember so much about my own childhood which then of course forces me to think about how I am as a mother and makes me so conscious of every choice that I make while simultaneously feeling strangely vulnerable you know sort of remembering all of these moments from my own childhood when I felt so alone and afraid or confused or sometimes happy, honestly, just but just remembering my way back into my childhood is a really profound thing to do as a parent, particularly a parent with kids at these very different developmental ages. Also, my son and daughter being about the ages that my siblings were when they were killed. I have been doing this research very, very slowly because each time I uncover something, it just eviscerates me in a manner that I was not prepared for. You know, I have a history as a journalist, a reporter, you know, I've done huge amounts of research for, you know, fiction projects for my last memoir project. And I thought, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to to sort of lay bare these secrets. I'm ready to kind of talk about all this with my family. But maybe you're never ready. Can you imagine a world in which you had never known this, where the secret remained buried in those portraits on the wall? You know, imagine a past in which you had never asked the question. I mean, do you in any way wish that you didn't know this? Maybe a little part of me does. 
and wishes that my relationship with my mother and my sister could be less complicated. You know that because my relationship with my mother, whom I love dearly and I love like an, in this animal love and, you know, also feel so protective of in so many ways, but my relationship with her is very fraught and I just wish that it could be less complicated. So it's not so much that you wish you didn't know the secret as that you wish the secret had never existed. Yeah, I either wish it had never existed or I wish that maybe they had... But the truth is, you can never truly shut the door, right? Here's Joanna, reading from the manuscript of her upcoming memoir. Where do I start? How do I begin? How do I tell a story that begins before my birth? Or rather, I should say, the story that resulted, grim and improbable as it sounds, in my existence. It's a story that now I'm called upon to tell, this explanation of my life, my family, of how I came to be, nearly every day. Every time someone innocently asks, do you have brothers and sisters, or are you from a big family? But there's no easy answer, no response that won't lead to further questions at best, or at worst, make the inquirer uncomfortable, or horrified, or sad, or filled with regret that she'd brought up such painful memories There's no answer that won't lead to an awkward social moment, a tragic silence within a gay party. And after the shock wears off, there will still always be more questions, questions I can't necessarily answer. I'd like to thank my guest, Joanna Rakoff. You can find out more about Joanna and her books at joannaraykoff.com. Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer, Lowell Brulanti is the audio engineer, and Julie Douglas is the executive producer. If you have a family secret you'd like to share with us, you can get in touch at listenermail at familysecretspodcast.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at Danny Writer and Facebook at Family Secrets Pod and Twitter at Fam Secrets Pod. For more about my book, Inheritance, visit dannyshapiro.com. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.